0: Well, you guys, today um, I'm really, uh, I'm talking about probably the most frustrating topic I could speak on, and it's the issue of pride. And the reason why this is such a frustrating topic is because, okay, who really, who needs to hear a message on pride? The proud people, right? But if you're proud, are you really going to listen? You know, and so it it really, you know, I think this through and I just go, God, this is annoying, this is frustrating. Here I am, the people who will really need to hear a message on pride are probably the ones that'll just sit back and go, you know what, that's not me. That's not me, why do I have to listen to him? I'm not arrogant, I'm not proud. You know, it's just like in scripture. You know, Jesus confronts the Pharisees so often and they're the ones that need to hear it the most, right? But they're the very ones that don't hear it. They don't have ears to hear. The last thing we want to be is like those Pharisees. Because you read in scripture and you go, gosh, God really was against those people. He was really harsh towards those people. Well, because they didn't listen. And they were the ones that needed it most. And, and so there's a part of me that comes to this, this, uh, this sermon with a, a sense of pessimism. going, well, the, the proud people in this room probably aren't going to listen to it. Probably aren't going to hear it. And so I pray. I pray all week and go, God, you know what? Break through. And, and I will ask you this morning... Would you please, everyone in the room, would you please be open? Just be open to considering that possibly that you are proud, okay? Would you be open to that possibility? Would you be open to thinking that possibly you are the most arrogant person in this room and that you need this message more than anyone? Okay, can we just be that open and say, okay, I, I, I'm open to the possibility. Maybe I am totally proud, and God put this message just for me. If you can't be open, let me just tell you right now, you are proud, okay? Let me just solve it for you. Um, but, but let's just all just, you know, it's, it's a frustrating topic because I have struggled with pride my whole life. I mean, it is that one sin that just plagues, plagues, plagues me that I just fight and fight and fight. Um, and, and it's hard because what, what's frustrating is people don't take it seriously. We don't see it as an awful sin. And, and what bugs me about it is, is what God says about pride. God says in Proverbs sixteen five, he says, the man who is proud in his heart is an abomination in my sight. In the NIV, it says the Lord detests those who are proud in heart. Okay, that's, think about these words, an abomination, detests. It's, it's, It's this picture, the word is talking to a person who was cursed, who was cursed by God, so disgusting in his sight he can't even look upon him because of his pride. I mean, I don't want to be a person that God looks at and says, you know, he's so into himself, he's drawing attention to himself that he's detestable in my sight. I mean, who wants that image of God looking at them that way? It's just that we don't look at pride as such an awful sin. In fact, when I come up here and I confess, hey, you guys, I struggle with this. You guys just kind of nod your heads. Okay, you know, yeah, you know, I kind of figured this or that, whatever it may be. But, but we, don't, we don't look at it as an awful sin. I mean, what if I came up here and I said, you guys, I've been really struggling with lust lately. I mean, it's the point where I'm, I'm checking a lot of you out. I mean, you guys would listen to that and go, oh, that's gross, you know, just, you know, this perverted pastor, you know what, and, and, and it would be to the point where you're just like, I don't know if I'm comfortable going to that church, you know, I, because why, we look at certain sins as so disgusting, and yet, yet if I come up here and say, you know, I struggle with pride, it's like, "Yeah, who doesn't, um, you know, and, and we just don't see it as, as really that bad. In fact, in our society, in our especially here in America, it's encouraged. We give it different titles. We say, you know, believing in yourself, or self-esteem, or building yourself up. It's, it's pride. And, uh, and this is serious stuff, because who wants to be detestable in the sight of God? And so let's take this seriously. You see, every day, I've got a choice, okay? I wake up with morning. in the morning, I've got a choice. See, this is a spotlight. It's like we all have a spotlight. And uh, see that light over there? See, there's a sprinkler. I don't know what that is. You guys know what that is? Smoke alarm, yeah, it flashes on a fire thing. It's pretty cool, huh? Is that light out, or is it just turned off? Yeah, it's out, because this one's on. That one's broken. Okay, now, I have a choice. Finding all these things i got to fix. Okay, but um, I have a choice. See, every day I, I, I could do this and just kind of point that light to the cross. This is what I ought to do. This is the posture I should take every day is just be a guy holding a light and pointing to the cross and telling people, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at God, look at God. Draw all the attention. Just have my back to them and say, you know what? Don't look at me. Just look at him and point my light toward God. That's, that's what I'm created for, is to bring glory to God, to lift Him up. But more often, this is what I do. You know, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing right now. And drawing attention to me, pay attention to me. You know, we do that, we do that in life. We want people to look at us. We wanna show off what we've accomplished and what we've done. And we want to draw attention to ourselves. And it's not necessarily this person with this huge, you know, what we assume necessarily, this person with this big ego that thinks he's greater than everyone. Because some of you may be saying, well, I don't think I'm that great, you know. But you know what? You can still be prideful. You can still toll a struggle with humility because you'll do this. Hey, look at me. Look how pitiful I am. Look how pathetic I am. Come, counsel me. Help me. You know what? Talk about me, 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 me. Look at me. Look how awful I am. Look how ugly I look. Look how, you know. And it's still, it's all just drawing attention to me, 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 when that is not what we were created for. Whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, the Bible says we do it to the glory of God so that we show off who he is and that, that we just kind of you know, bow down out of existence and point people to God. See, that, does your life look like that? Are you the type of person that says, you know, who cares what they think about me? I'm concerned about what people think about God. I'm pointing my light at other people who are, who are in need. Hey, look at those people who are in need. Let's care for them. Let's take care of them. But it's certainly not pointed at me, drawing attention to myself. What do you do? What do you do with your life? See, the Pharisees that Jesus is confronting here in Luke 14, they're all about themselves. They're all about drawing attention. That's why they hated Jesus, because he was getting the spotlight he was getting the attention. We have this story in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is invited to eat with these Pharisees. Okay, but, we, but it's not like what you'd think, you know, like when you're invited to dinner as a guest or something like that, you know, the guest of honor. That's, that's not the picture here. Okay, it, it says in, in Luke 14 verse 1, it says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, that shows you right there. It was not because he was his guest of honor. It's because they wanted to trap him. They were watching his every move to see if they could catch him doing something wrong. It's being carefully watched. Verse two, there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy is a disease where, you're, uh, where, where fluid starts forming inside your different uh, tissues and cavities in your body and it kind of like swells up and it's a very debilitating disease. So here's this man who's suffering from dropsy here at this dinner and Jesus asked the Pharisees, verse 3, and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Okay, I don't want to spend too much money on this, uh, too much money, too much time. Okay, I'm still thinking budget. I don't want to spend too much time on this passage because we just talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Remember that, the Sabbath thing? Anyone? Okay, a couple of you guys were here. Okay, the, the whole Sabbath, you know, and we talked about the whole issue of the Sabbath and whether it's right to work or this or that. So if you missed it, you know, get the tape. But I want to uh, just kind of really briefly explain what went on here. You, you're at this dinner, or Jesus is at this dinner with the Pharisees. This guy, you know, has this disease. Jesus holds him and just heals him right there. You know, first he looks at the Pharisee He goes, Hey, is it okay if I heal him? Is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? And no one says anything. He heals the guy, sends him away. And it seems like there's no response. I mean, if I did that on stage right now, I mean, with someone that you physically knew and you could see was was handicapped, and you knew them and you saw me do that, you would go crazy. You would just erupt. You would be blown away. That's not what happens here. You know, they're, they're carefully watching Jesus, go. okay, well, I don't know if that was okay, according to the law. I don't know if he can heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus, after he does that, he looks at him, he goes, listen, if one of you guys, you religious leaders, if, one, if your ox fell in a well on the Sabbath, what would you do? You'd pull him out, wouldn't you? Or what if your son, better yet, what if your son fell in the well, what would you do? Scream down the well, tread water for a day. You know, it's a Sabbath, you know, what are you gonna do? He goes, no, you're going to pull him up. You're going to yank him out of the well. He goes, so why is it wrong that I'm healing this guy? And it says, they had absolutely nothing to say. But Jesus made a statement in there where he asked the Pharisees, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? Okay, because here's the point. What the Pharisees did, and we've talked about this before, what the Pharisees did was they added to God's law, right? Right? They added certain Sabbath restrictions. The Bible says, you know, don't do work on that day. But they thought it was their prerogative, you know, to um, elaborate. They, They felt they had the right to elaborate on God's law and add additional restrictions and define what work means, meaning, well, you can't heal, you can't do this, you can't do that. Which this is something that the Pharisees added, and they were enforcing it as God's law. And that's why Jesus says, no, really, is it lawful? Is it okay according to God's law that I heal this guy? And they have nothing to say. See, see, the Pharisees were so proud that they felt they had the right to alter God's word, that they could add to it or they could take away from it. See, that's, that's the ultimate in arrogance. See, the, the humble person just says, okay, that's God's word. I'm just going to leave it alone, and I'm just going to submit to it. The arrogant person says, yeah, that's what God says, but I think what he means is this, and let me add some things to it. Let me elaborate on what God has said, or I don't really like that one, let me change it a little bit, because God probably would mean this anyways. So that's pretty arrogant. And you think, well, who does that? Because a lot of people do that. You see, if I were God, okay, if I were God, I would do some things differently. Okay, I read this book, and I, I see God's commands, and I like them. You know, they're good commands. I see the way he runs the world and his system. But I think in my mind, eh, there's some things in this book I would change if I were God. I, I just would. That's just me. I, I look at some of the commands and go, eh, I don't know if I would have commanded that. I, I look at uh, I probably would have made more uh, works-based things myself, you know, where you can achieve more things for yourself, get some more things for yourself based upon this or that, I I probably would have, um, you know what I would have done is I would have more immediate punishments You know, just like little ones, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, this huge thing, but he like stores up the wrath for the end. And I just think, well, you know, if someone did something wrong, I'd want to just zap him a little bit every time or, or this or that, or, or, you know, just throw an immediate blessing here or there. None of this eternity all the time, you know, and waiting on this or that. I mean, that's just how I would do it if I were God. Now, most of you guys know I'm not. And, uh. You know, I, I love, uh, the, you know, I've shared with you before my favorite quote of all time by a human being, you know, it was 12 years ago. I heard a guy on the radio, a guy named Jay Vernon McGee. He's still on, old, he's long dead, but he, his, his sermons are still on the air. But he's got this weird little voice and, and uh, his statement was this. He goes, uh, this is God's universe and God does things his way. Now you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe (laughs) and uh, man that to me it's like that's perfect you know I I still remember sitting in my car hearing that just going no way you know it's the most simple obvious statement and yet we don't get it you know And, and yeah I can look at this book and say you know I wouldn't have done it like this I wouldn't have done it like that but you know what he's God And he has every right to do things the way he thinks, and he doesn't have to ask my opinion. It's his universe. But the thing is, is that once I realized I was not God, I realized, okay, I need to submit to him. So because he's God, I'm a created being, I just need to submit to whatever he says. That's the role of a created being to a creator. But here's the thing that has developed in my life. The longer I am alive, the more I realize that God is doing a better job at running this universe than I would have. Okay, this is really something you learn. You know, it sounds obvious, but you start going, oh, okay, the older you get, you go, I see why my system wouldn't have worked, and I see why he said this, and why he said that. And if we had gone with my rules, we wouldn't have this. Okay, okay. And you finally surrender and you finally get to the point where, like Scripture says, his ways are higher than my ways. See, while I still look at the Word of God and disagree with some things, I'm wise enough to go, you know what, I disagree, but I think he's right and I'm wrong. Have you gotten to that point yet? where you go, well, I think this, but I'm probably wrong, and he's probably right. See, a lot of people never get there, and instead what they do is they go, well, I think this, and so that's probably what God meant. And they'll change the word of God, they'll alter it in their pride, believing that there's no way I could be wrong. And some of you guys are thinking, well, I've never done that, are you sure? You sure you've never changed God's word because it didn't sit well with you? In Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus says, you know what, if you divorce for any reason outside of marital unfaithfulness, you are committing adultery. You don't divorce for a reason other than that. You don't pursue divorce for a reason other than that. Some of us go, well, I don't like that. And I don't agree with that. You see, I think God would have allowed for other reasons, too. You know what? I I think there should be other reasons. But I don't dare impose that on God. And I don't dare preach any other reason. I just say, you know what? That's what God's word says. I'm going to stick to it, even if I disagree. Hebrews 13, 4 says to, to, to leave the marriage bed, keep the marriage bed pure and undefiled. Just keep that totally pure. That's something that is for marriage, and it's sacred. And yet, nowadays, we go, well, no, if you're in love, if you really love this person, and if you're planning on getting married anyways, I I think God would be okay with this. I think he'd be okay with us messing around and, you know, doing this. It's like, okay, but understand that's not in the book, okay? That's not what he said. You are adding to it based on what you think God should think, because he didn't say that. Matthew 18, he tells us to forgive people 70 times seven times. And, and some of us go, well, but, but see, I was hurt so badly by this person and I don't think God would want me to love this person. I, I think God understands how deeply I've been hurt that I don't necessarily have to love this person. Okay, but that's not what God's word says. He says to love your enemies, that, that you're to do good to those who hate you, that you bless those who curse you. You pray for those who persecute you, that that's what we're supposed to do. And so whenever you go beyond those and you go, well, but I think you're adding. What is lawful? What is in the word? In Romans 1, it talks about how the men and women, they exchanged their natural relations with each other. And they, they, they gave themselves, they were given over to shameful lusts where they became inflamed with lust for one another and they committed these indecent acts, men with men, women with women. God clearly shows that it's, it's wrong. And yet we'll say today, well, but, but I, I don't think God has a right to, to say that, especially if he made them that way. And, and I think that was for back then and this is now and it's, it's different now. Ephesians 5.25 says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I hear guys say, you know what? I don't think that applies to my kids. You don't know my wife. And and, uh, you know, that verse was written before my wife was created. And uh, (laughs) seriously, you know, and it's just like, well, I don't think, you know, I mean, what am I supposed to be? Be like Christ and let her crucify me and just, well. You know what? All it says is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's not this line where you have to—you can stop loving her and suddenly give up on her. Just like there's no line in that with our relationship with God, where God says, you know what? I, I don't need to love this person anymore. It, it's, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And immediately you go, I ain't submitting to no one you know, and it's just listen, I am woman, hear me roar. I am not, you know what, I don't care what that says, it must be wrong, it must be wrong because I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it, and I, I think you know that was for back then. And there's a clause after you know 1500 years or so, we move on to something new, but but and and people say, well, you know, and if I haven't offended everyone yet, I got more, okay, but uh. You know, the, the, the whole point is, is, you know, yeah, I'm going to offend people. I, I offended plenty of people this weekend, but, it, you know, I, I'm not going to change God's word to make myself feel better or to make other people feel better. I just say, you know what, God, that's what you said. And you go, well, that's your interpretation. No, it's not. You just just read it, black and white, sometimes even red. You you just read it, and it's just right there, and it just says, you know, and, and the only way you come to some of these other conclusions is when you, in your heart, you don't like what it says, so you go, well, it must mean something else. So maybe if I twist this a little bit and say this is cultural and say this was, you guys, just take God's word for what it says. You know, I mean, let's, let's be honest. When we change those things or we have different beliefs, it's not because we really sat down one day with an open mind and objective and said, I really want to know what this means. Now, we, we arrive at some of these conclusions because we don't like what the obvious clear meaning is. And so therefore, we, we tweak things a little bit. We add to God's word or we take away from God's word. Listen, I'm tempted to do it. I'm tempted to do it all the time. Why, why do you think there's religions that, that say, you know what, uh, there's no hell. There's no eternal punishment. It doesn't sit well with them, so let's change it. it doesn't feel good to believe in that. Let's, let's, let's just change and alter a few things to make ourselves. But do you see, that's, that's the ultimate in pride. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And, and listen, I'm not saying this is easy, okay? I'm not saying that these commands are easy to to obey. What I'm saying is when they're not easy, that's when you find out and you discover who's really on the throne of your life. It's when you disagree. When you read something, it doesn't sit well with you. What do you do with it? Do you just say, okay, but that's what God says, and I believe his ways are higher than mine, so I'll just submit to it? Or do you go, you know what, I, I can't believe this book because God doesn't think like I do. So he must be wrong. You know, um, for those who who maybe have been offended or bothered by maybe something I've said, let me just ask you something. Have you ever obeyed God's word when you disagreed with it? Just think that through. Has there ever been a time, ever, when you read something in God's word and you don't agree with it, but you just go, well, I'm going to obey it anyways because he's God. See, maybe I'm too simplistic, but, but I, uh, I look at it this way. If I, if I make a person out of this Plato, okay, I make a guy. If I make him, and he's created by me. He didn't even exist before. And I place him on this earth. Then let me ask you, what, what rights does he have now? Think about it. What rights does that guy, or girl, whatever it is, what rights... What rights does he or she have? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really nothing, right? I mean, he didn't even exist a minute ago. And I created, I made him, I breathed life into him. What rights can he demand of me? Well, because you made him, because I am man, therefore I must... No, you don't get anything. I don't have to give you anything. I don't give you any rights. I don't do anything for you. I'm the creator, you're the created being. See, that's the way I look at myself before God. You guys, I am nothing but a piece of clay that God breathed life into. And in a moment, any moment, he can take that life out of me. What rights do I have? What How can I look at my creator and say, hey, because you made me, this is what I deserve. This is what I demand of you. This is what I think is right. And yet, that's what we do. You guys... There's this whole self-esteem thing or building yourself up like you are someone, you deserve these rights or those. You don't deserve anything. We don't deserve squat, okay? I'm I'm this created being made by God and I just go, you know what? I'll do whatever you say because I didn't even exist a few years ago. You spoke me into existence. You made me. You formed me in my mother's womb. And you can take this life away from me anytime. So what rights do I have? And you know where my self-esteem comes from and my security comes from is a thought that, wait a second, But that God up there who made me says that he's crazy about me. And if that doesn't doesn't fill you up and give you a sense of security on this earth, I don't know what will. And you can keep shining that light on yourself, oh, you know, make me feel secure. You know what? Look, Look at God for a second and think that he made you out of nothing and then he looks down at you and says, I love you. I'm crazy about you. I give you these commands because this is the way the world works. This is the way I made it. And this is the way I believe it's going to function the best. And and, and I want to spend eternity with you. and Watch, I'll have my son come down and become like you, one of these little beings. And I'll have him die on a cross for you. I mean, all of that, it's like, gosh, that God up there is crazy about me? I don't care if I offend everyone in the world. I've got a God uh, up there that is crazy about me and calls me his own kid And you know what, I'm secure as I need to be. That's where my worth comes from. That's why we don't need to draw the attention to ourselves because God's given us that attention. Our job is to just direct it back to him and tell everyone what a wonderful God we have. Is that you? Or do you alter God's word? Are you a person that submits even when you disagree? goes on, the story goes on, he, he's still at this dinner party, and it's, and it's interesting because in verse 7, he says, when he noticed, he's watching, Jesus is watching, he knows how the guests, they would pick the places of honor at the table, and he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is Jesus noticing, you know, when the people came in, these, these, these religious leaders, they would all flock to the head of the table where the seats of honor were. It's kind of like the head table at a wedding banquet. It's like they all wanted to be there up by the, you know, the, you know, the most prominent people. And so Jesus tells them this parable. Now it's interesting, it's important that you, you see the, the word parable there. Um, because that means that Jesus was explaining something deeper. That's what a parable does. He wasn't just talking about where you sit at a feast. He's talking about it represents something greater. And, and he tells this parable. He goes, he goes, it's like when you go to a feast, don't go to the position of honor. Because he says, what happens is the host may come and he'll see someone that's more important than you. Someone that's arriving late that's more prestigious. And he'll, he'll tell that guy, hey, why don't you come up here and sit? And you, why don't you go find another place? You know, and then you'll be humbled because you exalted yourself. He goes, instead, when you go to the banquet, you should just go sit in the lowliest place. So when the host comes in, he looks and says, hey, what are you sitting back there for? Come up here to the front with me. He says, and you humble yourself and you'll be exalted. See, it's a parable explaining that that's what God does to us. And it's really about church leadership. Because his picture was to these Pharisees who took the religious leadership positions when God maybe didn't necessarily put them there, and God was now humbling them. He said, instead, you should have been servants, and God would have exalted you to these positions. And that happens today. People in churches go, you know, I should be leading that ministry. I should be a pastor. I should be the elder. I should be this. I should be that. Well, obviously, God didn't think so, or he would have put you there. You know, and he'll exalt you to those positions if you belong there. And those who are there that don't belong there, you know, we ask God, would you humble them when you get them out of those positions? But, but as, as I bring this up, I just want you to ask yourself, are you the type of person that strives after servant, servant-like positions, Or are you the type of person that wants the prestigious spot? Do people know you as a servant, someone who, who always wants to take the humble route, take the lesser position than what he or she deserves? You're getting in a car to yell, "Shotgun? Or do you go, middle, back, in between everyone? You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really, what, what, do you, what do you do? Do you want to be the servant? Do you want the lowest place? You know, it starts when we were kids. That's what we did, right? You, you, we scream up for that position of honor, the best spot. You know, you go back to the, this banquet analogy, I mean, I, I've done this. You know, where you, you ever been to the wedding reception where there, you got a bunch of tables and then there's a buffet line? and you want to get to that table that's closest to the beginning of the line, right? Or some of you, you know, you, you get up during the prayer and you just kind of walk over to the, <laughs> right? And you're like, whoa, I'm at the front of the line, I'll start it, you know? And you know, I've done that, but it was way back in the past, you know, but, uh, you know, and, and it's just that natural, I just want to gravitate to that position of honor to look at me, or am I the person that says, you know what, I, I want everyone else to eat first? I want to serve, I I want to be, I want, you know, if there's no food left, that's fine. I want to make sure everyone else is fed and taken care of. You know, I don't want to park right up here closest to the church. I want to park in that new lot over by Jack's Shoes, you know, um, so that I don't bug the neighbors and everything else. And I want to, you know, and I want to make room, you know, the closest ones for other people. I mean, do those thoughts enter your mind? Do you naturally gravitate toward the servant role and allow God to lift you up? Or are you the person that strives for honor? You guys, next week, um, at our Saturday night service, there's a possibility that Mel Gibson is going to be coming to our service. See, I say that, and somebody go, ooh, ah, I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, he might. I didn't lie. He might. I doubt it. But, you know, but I, I bring that up. I bring that up. This is the only service I did that to, you know. But uh, I bring that up because I want to show you the, the next passage. <laughs> okay, verse, verse 12. Okay, look, look what it says here. Okay, so then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or rich neighbors. If they do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He looks at the host of the party, he goes, hey, you know what, you invited all these famous, rich, you know, religious leaders. He goes, next time you have a banquet, why don't you invite the poor? Why don't you invite the nobodies? Why don't you invite the lame? Why don't you invite the people that, that can't ever repay you instead of just inviting your buddies, your rich buddies that you know can repay you? Because you, you he goes, if you did that, then you would really be blessed. You know, we, we, we preached on this passage about a year ago Remember I talked about it in regards to world impact and I talked about how no one obeys this. You know, when do you ever invite people who are in need? We just invite people that are friends or, or we love to be around prestigious people. You know, there have been some events here at the church where we've had some celebrities show up. You know, that's why I brought, brought up the whole Mel Gibson thing. You know, we've had things where, where people that are, you know, in the movies, you know, show up to a church event or a picnic, and everyone's like, ooh, like your reaction. You're like, oh, you know, Mel's going to be in this room. Oh. You know, it's just, we do, you know, and, you know, we've had athletes come, and, 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 and then we've had services, every service, every event we have. We have people that are hurting, that are needy, that are poor, they're crippled. You know, it's interesting. Whenever we've had a celebrity at a service or at an event they get swarmed afterwards. Or they have people looking at them, staring at them, or crowding around them, asking for autographs or this or that. Shouldn't church be a place where the hurting people are swarmed? Seriously. Shouldn't church be a place where everyone's flocking to those who are lonely, or hurting, or in need. Are we any different from the world if, uh, if we just go flock to those people that we wanna be around, or we think we can get something from, or it's an honor to be in their presence? Shouldn't church be a place where we're waiting in line to go help out at the special needs Sunday school class? I mean, really? In God's eyes, if God looked at the church and it were a place that were pleasing to him, isn't that how it would look? Is that anyone that comes in with a need, they've just got a flock of other believers around them afterwards, trying to figure out how they can help. See, I just don't want to kid ourselves into thinking, wow, what a successful church. Look at that huge budget, look at all the people that come, because you know what, that's all garbage if our character isn't there. In God's eyes, he's looking for a church that's humble, that really says, okay, he's God. I'm not. Let me just do what he says. Let, let me. I, I mean, don't you want? Don't you want? As you read this, don't you want to be a person that naturally gravitates toward those who are hurting? I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not there. Very few of us are there. But don't you, in your heart, really want to be that type of person and known as that type of person? And wouldn't you love to be a person that really is? a, a servant that is trying to you know, take care of everyone else and sometimes neglect yourself? And don't you wanna be a person that just submits even when you disagree, showing that you really understand your place as a created being? I think it's what we want. It's just re- re- wanting it badly enough and recognizing how ugly it is in God's eyes when we're the opposite. And so would you just take a minute or two right now and just, would you ask God to make you that type of person? Would you just bow your heads and just just personally pray to God and say, God, help me to become more humble, more of a servant, not fighting for my rights. Help me to really serve people, care for people and take the spotlight off myself.